Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. An Elio's Original each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Ian McLean. Ian is a professor of politics at Oxford University and a senior research fellow in politics at Nuffield College in Oxford. He is the co-author of Abervan, Government and Disasters, and more recently, the author of Rational Choice in British Politics, an analysis of rhetoric and manipulation from Peel to Blair. Let's hear what he has to say about the Abervan mine disaster. Hi, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rebecca. Could you start off by giving us a little background about yourself and why you were drawn to researching and writing about the Abervan disaster? Okay, so I'm so old, I'm afraid, that <laughs> uh, I remember the day it happened. And I was a student at the time. We were actually on an outing and we were close to South Wales. And you just got a sense in the air that there was something terribly wrong. I didn't find out what until I got home in Oxford where I was as a student and saw the TV. And so um, uh, I've been involved ever since. I was one of those who um, helped raise funds for the disaster fund. And therefore, I got very angry when uh, some of those funds were inappropriately taken by the government of the day and the National Coal Board. And I've been involved ever since, really, um, as an activist as well as an academic. So... In the 1960s, what was the state of the coal mining industry in Wales? Dominant. Uh, it was enormous. Uh, the National Coal Board, which was the monopoly employer, uh, employed in total 450,000 people. That's in the whole of the UK. I don't have the number for South Wales, but I think it was of the order of 50,000. So it was the largest employer in the, in the South Wales coalfield by a long way. And where is Abervan uh, 
where is it located? What is its main industry at, at the time? Okay, so there are about a dozen valleys, and they are called the valleys with a capital V, that all run roughly parallel uh, from southeast to northwest up from the Welsh coast. And these were where the coal seams were and still are. Um, and Aberfan was a typical mining village. The, it was a one-industry town. They, the mine, Merthyr Vale Colliery, was essentially the only employer in town. Uh, it's about um, 20 miles approximately up the valley of the River Taff, um, and it's part of the town of Merthyr Tydfil. So could you give us some background on Merthyr Vale Colliery? Uh, before the accident happened, what was their setup? in Abervan. So the setup was that the colliery Merthyr Vale was in the bottom of the valley uh, and with the river Taff. Uh, there was a railway up both sides. The housing of Abervan and Merthyr Vale, the two villages, was on the lower slopes of the hills going up both sides. And the colliery had a, a series of waste tips which went up the mountain on the west side of the valley uh, and they were get, they were they had been there since mining started in about 1918. And uh, they dominated the village and they were right above the village school. And how many people did they employ from the town? Probably, I don't have the numbers, but probably almost everybody who was employed oh, in the wow. town worked either directly for the coal board or for a supplier. And could you help us explain uh, by explaining what tips are generally how how is tip seven different from the other tips um tip seven unfortunately was not different from the other tips oh and, that's terrifying and, uh, it, yeah. could, it could have been any of three which had which would have might have collapsed so um when you dig out coal anywhere underground uh you get lots of stuff that is not coal or that is has got is low grade or has coal mixed in with other rubbish and you've got to put that rubbish somewhere. And if it's an underground mine, you can't leave it underground. So it has to go on the surface. Mm. And these are these are these have various names in different parts of Britain. Uh, tips or bings or bungs. But for, for now, we'll say tips. And so the waste is taken up from the colliery. Um, it's coming up all the time. And it's tipped on a conical mound. The mound becomes conical because the stuff is tipped on it. And in South Wales, because of what I said earlier, the uh, valleys being narrow and uh, uh, the hillside, hills both sides, it was customary for these tips to be on the hillside, which was inherently dangerous. Is, is it accurate for me to think it's a, like a small hill on top of a mound, like a hill? <laughs> Yeah, it's quite. It uh, can be quite a big hill. Uh, yes, on the side of a hill. If you imagine um, uh, a mountain slope, um, or I mean, not a very big mountain, but it, it goes up to about fifteen hundred feet in old money to the top of the natural hill, and then the highest of the tips was probably about one hundred and twenty feet high on the side of this of this hill. So why was it placed where it was placed? Did anyone see a problem with its location? 
far too few people saw a problem with this oh. location. In fact, we've only the evidence uncovered by the Tribunal of Inquiry and by us suggests that only one coal board official really understood how dangerous this was. Oh, wow. And he circulated a memo about how you should deal with tips in the whole of South Wales, not just this particular one. And nobody did anything about it. How were tips and coal mines regulated at the time? Was was anyone in charge of overseeing them, uh, particularly in terms of safety? Yes, the safety regulator at the time was called Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Mines and Quarries. And they did a terrible job. Mm. You can look at the uh, report of the Tribunal of Inquiry and see photographs taken before the disaster. And, you know, I talked about tips being conical. Well, they're not conical if um, something is causing them to slip. They will have an extended toe on the downhill side. And it's obvious to the naked eye that the Aberfan tips had that property. And the toe of coal waste was pointing towards the village before the disaster. So could you walk us uh, through the events leading up to the disaster on October 21st, 1966? So the immediate cause was the uh, choosing a site for the what, we, what became Tip 7, the one which slipped. That site was chosen in 1958 by two engineers who just walked up the hill and apparently thought this would be a good place. Uh, it's sloping so you can get more rubbish in, mm. uh, which was a terrible um, decision. And it's, it was obvious, or it should have been obvious to anybody, that it was particularly unstable because there were springs of water coming out from the mountain. The springs come out where the geology underneath changes, and the water, and it rains a lot in South Wales, the water falls on the mountainside and gradually percolates until it comes to impermeable rock, and then it bubbles out as a spring. And they tipped on top of two of those. <gasps> so that morning, did uh, any of the workers notice anything different? Or Yes. Okay. Yes, they did. Uh, the tipping gang started work at about half past seven in the morning. And um, as soon as they started their shift, they noticed that at the top of the tip where they were tipping... Um, the material was being was beginning to surge. It actually surged up first before it went down. So although they had no particular training, they realized instinctively that this was a dangerous potential. Um, they stopped tipping. Uh, they um, pulled their crane back from the edge of the tip and pulled themselves back from the edge of the tip, which saved their lives. Um, and um, went down to report to the mechanical engineer of the colliery. They had to walk down because the phone lines had been cut. Um, so that was about half past seven. And then um, while they were back up in their cabin trying to decide what to do, uh, they saw the whole thing go, starting at about ten past nine uh, in the morning. Uh, and the weather conditions were that they were in the clear up the mountain, but there was low cloud, so nobody in the village could see it coming. They could hear it. Oh, wow. And how, once the tip started to come down the mountain, what, what kind of destruction did it cause? It destroyed everything in its path. Uh, so when it uh, started coming, it was very wet with the water from these springs, 
Um, and as it swept down, it wiped out a farmhouse on the side of the hill, came straight over um, into, into the school, uh, one of the schools, and then got as far as uh, two rows of houses below the school. Once it stopped, it solidified. Mm. And so nobody had any chance unless they happened to be protected by a beam or a radiator or something, unless they were in an air pocket. Oh. What were the immediate rescue efforts like? Um, well, uh, the immediate rescue efforts were uh, led by the miners from Merthyrvale Colliery itself. They were called up to the surface and... Um, they were as good a crew of rescuers as you could have got in the circumstance because they were trained in this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then they were joined by fire and civil defense. So um, it wasn't, it was not the case that the rescue was done badly. It was just that there was nothing that you could do uh, after about after 11 o'clock that morning, nobody else was set was saved alive. What was the response from the national coal board right after it happened? denial yeah. uh they they i mean their internal their their people started talking about this incident you know an incident in which 144 people had been killed wow. uh the chairman of the coal board lord robins came to abavan uh, about two days after the disaster and said it was that it was due to an in his words unknown spring but as I have already said, there was nothing unknown about it. It's on the maps, and all the villagers knew about it. How did he respond to the disaster? Uh, what was it that angered so much of the community of Abervan about his response? His total failure to accept any responsibility yeah. for him and the senior staff of the coal board. Um, he wanted to push responsibility down or out. I mean, one particularly scandalous example is that he told later on, a year later, he told the minister uh, of the government of the day, uh, implying that it was the fault of the borough council, Merthyr, Merthyr Council, for having its school where it was. Guys, the school was there first. Right. And the council had complained in their own words about danger from coal slurry being tipped at the rear of the Pantglass schools. After the disaster, did investigators find anyone at fault? Yes. So um, there was a very thorough report. It came out in um, August of 1967. And it named nine people, employees or former employees of the National Coal Board, plus a special mention for Lord, Lord Robins, its chair. And so the blame for the disaster lay wholly with the Coal Board, the report found, and, and we agree with that. And um, whether they named the right people could still be disputed. Oh. I believe that from our study of the archives, that two of the nine should not have been blamed, and there were others who should have been. Oh, interesting. That's very, that's very sad for those individuals, but they've all passed on now. And indeed, the fact that they have all passed on is what's made it possible to make the more accurate documentaries about Abavan in recent years than than before. So what kind of psychological trauma did the disaster have on surviving victims and the people of Abervan? Immense and unrecognized at the time. So uh, we've seen from the archives that, um, the government archives, that 
government employees, uh, a senior civil servant from the Welsh office, was stationed in Aberfan to deal with local relationships for a, a couple of years or so. And in 68, 69, he's sending in reports to his superiors, which to our eyes are just incredibly insensitive. They're saying uh, people are recovering. Well, you know, this was two years after the disaster. They, uh, people didn't have the modern understanding of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which was only so defined in 1980. But um, as one of the parents said in a 30-year documentary, uh, you can't expect us to recover in 30 years, never mind two. And uh, I mustn't play the amateur psychologist, but uh, my observation, you know, my unqualified observation going to Aberfan now is that it is very raw after more than 50 years. So in your research, uh, in a, your history and policy paper, you write that in an eight. 1868 case established that the National Coal Board would be liable for all financial loss in the instance of a slide of a tip. Um, it didn't matter whether they were negligent or not. How did this precedent affect the NCB's attitude towards safety? That's an excellent question because it seems not to have affected it at all. You might have thought that people on the insurance side or people on the estates management side would say to the operational people, guys, you've got to be particularly careful about tips. It could cost us millions of pounds if we have a tip slide onto somebody else's property. But we've seen no evidence that that ever happened. And uh, the attitude of the insurance staff of the coal board, because it carried its own insurance, it didn't uh, go to a commercial insurance, oh. was pay out the minimum you possibly could. Their initial offer was of £50 to each bereaved family. Now, that's £1966, so it might be £500 now, say, I don't know, US dollars uh, and so their attitude was stingy and niggling. And uh, even though their liability to pay, as you've just said, was unquestionable and unquestioned, those are the words of the tribunal, uh, they still hadn't paid up even for replacing the school by 1970, four years later. Wow. Uh, there was something else you wrote that was very sad. Um, uh, you stated that uh, injuring people is expensive Killing them is cheap. Uh, a line of cases has settled that damages for bereavement are nominal. That was the case when we wrote that article. Um, I'm not sure whether it's still the case, and I'm not a lawyer, So, uh, but it certainly was the case in 1966 on, uh, as the case law stood at the time, and that is unfortunate. So at the end of the day, Ian, we always ask our guest experts this question. If you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the Aberven mine disaster. Who or what would that be? I might go for a concept, <laughs> the concept of corporatism. And that is to say that at the time, the National Coal Board, now nationalized industry, owned by the state, owned by the people in the romantic view that the post-war Labour government had, that the, the, the collieries belonged to the people, was actually such a dominant power in the land that it wasn't answerable to anybody. 
and that conditioned the behavior of everybody from the most senior officials to the most junior. Having said that, the more senior the officials were, the more culpable we believed that they were. Mm. And in the in the climate of then, uh, nobody resigned, nobody was even demoted. Wow. Uh, it's inconceivable that, that would happen now in the UK. Uh, the entire coal board would have been dismissed were something like that to happen now. Ian, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us understand uh, this terrible, terrible tragedy. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And me. And you. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just the two of mm-hmm. us. It's an intimate <laughs> affair today. Um, it was wonderful speaking with Ian. Mm-hmm. He was just very insightful. Clearly, he's spent his entire life yes, he's, being an activist. And yeah, just... He only made this, this one seem like more kind of horrifying as I was listening to him. Like it, the, the negligence, it just seemed like that was so large, like people walking up the hill. I mean, like, yeah, this is fine. And there's two springs here, but we'll do it anyway. And there's a school there, but like, it's fine. Yeah, it really is horrifying. Um, and, and something you said, which really stuck out to me was uh, when he was describing the National Coal Board and mm-hmm. just his first word was just denial. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was a big part of this tragedy. Yeah. Everyone was just like in denial that something would go wrong when they were deciding like where to build, build Yes. It. And also after it did happen, denial that it, it did go right. wrong. <laughs> I know. And he was saying that they tried to blame the school for being built where it was built. It was like, that is, that's someone really in denial of taking some kind of responsibility for it. It's clearly their negligence. 
it, I can't imagine how hurtful mm-hmm. that is on top of like having to uh, survive or overcome this tragedy, but ha- having everyone around you almost like gaslighting you. Yeah. Victim blaming, you know? Yeah. And he, like Just, he said, they didn't even have like the psychological terms to describe like PTSD, which wasn't like defined until decades later. Like to be going through the trauma of like a landslide crushing your village and having people being like, well, you shouldn't have built your school there. It's like, what? Yeah, just horrifying. I mean, of so many tragedies, sometimes we we come across tragedies where I feel like things are a little blurrier. It's more like in the gray zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one feels very black and white, cut cut and dry, dry, (laughs) right? (laughs) I know. It's like... And 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 the fact that that was the the response is, uh, very deeply upsetting. What's um what's kind of alarming is that when in the, like at the beginning of the interview when you asked him about the Abervan mine and he said it was a typical mine, so yes. there are there are more that you know who knows I would I would guess and hope that since a disaster like this happened. They did some kind of assessment of the existing mines or are taking some kind of measure to prevent a similar tragedy. But who knows? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would hope so, too. But we don't know. We don't know. I, I mean, Matt, like, <laughs> we're just trusting. Yeah. You There's tr- so much trust that we have to have just to live as a human being. Well, and I think too, it's like when it, when it's an entity that's so large and tells you that they that is in charge of something and they're taking care of it, you just kind of like trust that they have the money and the resources and that they would be honest with you. And like to his point at the end, it's like uh, sometimes it's cheaper to just let the accident happen. And, I mean, maybe, like hopefully that's not the case, but I feel like you see these in modern day lawsuits all the time, people who are affected by a company's actions or products and it's cheaper to let that happen until you get called out for it. Yeah. They'd rather spend the money on fixing, uh, you know, on, on paying out like liability versus actually putting in the safety protocols and fixing the problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know the people that, you know, he said that there were a list of nine people, including Lord Robin, who were actually named right. to be at fault from this report, but that he thought there were two that shouldn't be on there and there are others that should. Like, that seems like, I mean, yeah. I know it's so late now. And as he said, most of them have, have passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a mess for something like what this to have mess. happened and to have not the appropriate people held responsible. Yeah. And this is why, this is why I don't trust this is why I don't trust anyone. <laughs> this is just a reminder. <laughs> How do we go into buildings? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know if this elevator is installed properly. It's like, we just trusted that they did it right. I know. Don't get me started. Because <laughs> I will have a hard time going yeah. about my day. <laughs> Leaving the house. Just to remind everyone, during our initial episode, we threw two things in jail. We threw the National Coal Board and Chairman Lord Robins were both thrown in, in jail. Okay. And we gave the big slap to profit over people. Hmm. So I feel like, I mean, he he said corporatism. Mm-hmm. 
right? That's what Ian said. Yes. And uh, I guess I think, that is a different I, concept, but but we were pretty close. I think corpor- right? I think corporatism and profit over people are in the yeah. same village. Yes. And I also think that he, Ian said that the National Coal Board was held. Mm-hmm. You know, they did say that Eventually, it was yeah. their fault. Yeah. Um, so, and, and no one ever got demoted. No one was ever fired. It's wild. Yeah. Like he said, that would never happen. That could never happen. Well, it's kind of like this whole too big to fail concept. Like, you know, when he was said corporatism, he was saying how dominant it was in the town that like ever, no one was answerable to it. Like the yeah. higher up you were, the less at fault you could be. It's kind oh. of like we can't. And to have him kind of reiterate that almost everyone in the village was either directly or indirectly employed by that's, the, the yeah. Murdervale Colliery. It's like, that's this town. Yeah. Right. So if a whole town is, working to support one mine and then, then something goes wrong. Like there's nothing else going on there. So the, who, of course yeah. the people who are monitoring that are, are they're not going to want to be like, Oh, we'll come in and take responsibility. It's your fault. This little village, you're not doing it right. Right. Um, so I, I feel like we, I, I feel good about what we ended up sending to the alarmist jail. So I feel like we can keep that. And, and it was great talking to Ian about that and just getting all the clarity. Mm-hmm. Clayton, before we go, is are, how are we doing on reviews and and ratings? Because I feel like it's been a it's been a while. Uh, we haven't heard from our alarmy out there. Mm-hmm. I know that I know that there's a lot of people that are listening, and I just want to encourage everyone if you haven't already to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It is a vital part of why we stay with the mics on is that yes <laughs> is it why we say <laughs> it's the re it's a big part of keeping these mics on i should say um yes let let me share this review that we uh received from uh st foreman uh okay titled a joy five stars <laughs> The Alarmist provides a good, considerate window into often complex and sometimes deeply tragic historical events. The hosts are not historians, correct, in any traditional sense, which is why they have engaging and in-depth interviews with relevant experts on nearly every topic they cover. Honestly, the aftermath episodes are often my favorites. I Aww. love I love Clayton, but the absence of Amanda Lund is deeply felt. <laughs> I hear that. I would love to have her back on the show in any capacity, really. The best part about The Alarmist is that even when they get it wrong, it's obvious how much everyone involved truly cares about the people who experience these events and their historical significance. Rebecca, Chris, and Clayton are funny and entertaining, but they take educating and informing their listeners seriously, and I appreciate that. (laughs) Put that on my tombstone. I cared. She cared. It's going to be... She's funny, but, like, but she also cared. <laughs> but, but seriously, I did care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's that's very nice, and um, you know, please uh, thank you, St. Foreman, mm-hmm. for the nice review. And if you've got something to say, give us that five star review and let us know how you feel about the show. What's your favorite episode? Mm-hmm. Well. Stay tuned because next week we're going to be discussing the Gwen Shamblin 
diet cult. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.